I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the, servants does, the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord, how beautiful are your words. We've been reminded again this morning that you are the king. May we listen as ones who listen to the words of a king. Father, as I speak, I'm aware that my words are feeble, they fail. So, Father, may it be your words that resound this morning. May your spirit allow your words to just shine. Would you allow us just to catch a greater glimpse of how great you are, of your glory in Jesus Christ? Amen. How can I change? How can I change? What must I do or how can I stop doing the thing that I don't want to do? And how can I actually start doing the thing that I want to do? I wonder, can, can you relate to that? Can you relate to the question of how can I change? You know what it's like, right? Like you're, you're, uh, you're walking away having just yelled at your kids again. And you're walking away thinking, oh, like I promised I wouldn't do that. And then, then uh, here I am doing it again. How can I change? Or maybe, you, again, you, you know what it's like. You're in a group 
And uh, maybe you're even leading a group. It's a life group, say, and you, you say things that are just immature, maybe even inappropriate. And you're driving home and you recall what you said and you kind of have that, oh, and you're working for the church. How can I change? <laughs> How can I change? Do you know what that's like? Or maybe it's that, that very thing that you know you, you, you want to do. And you, you want to pursue your wife. You want to date her still. And then you kind of get through a busy week and you go, wow, it's been a month since I last went out with my wife. How can I change? Maybe it's for you. It's, it's as you walk through things at home. Maybe it's for you as you walk through with your family. Maybe as, as you walk through things at work, you're aware that of, the, of the you that you want to be. You're aware of the you that you want to be and the way that you want to live and you're just aware that you're not doing it. You're not doing what you want to do or you're doing the things that you don't want to do. How can I change? Well, thankfully, John 15 answers that question for us this morning. As we come to John 15 and we ask the question, how can I change? John 15, in essence, tells us that we can. But the answer in John 15 is this. You must abide in Jesus to produce Jesus' fruit. You must abide in Jesus to produce Jesus' fruit. And we're going to walk through this passage. The way that I like to walk through passages is to ask questions. <clears throat> I was catching up with an old friend of mine who, um, again, was a, he used to be a teacher as well, Graham Anderson. And he was a, as a teacher, he was telling me that he used to love the kids that didn't necessarily have all the right answers. He loved the kids that asked good questions, gripping questions. So I love that too. And sometimes it's, it's almost just good to wrestle with the questions. So here are the questions that I want us to wrestle with. Why Jesus? As we consider that you must abide in Jesus to produce Jesus' fruit. First question, why Jesus? Second question, what do I do then? What do I do? Third question, what does abiding look like? So why Jesus? What do I do then? And so what does abiding look like? We're going to walk through these three questions that will help us walk through this passage as we explore. You must abide in Jesus to produce Jesus' fruit. So the first question, as we just explained, the first question is, why Jesus? I want us to just walk through, if you can, with me. The first five verses, as we ask that question, as we ponder, why Jesus? So Bible's ready. This is God speaking. So let's be clear about that. Let's, let's be attentive to this. And starting from verse 1. I am the true vine. Pause there because that's significant even just in that. Here is another one of Jesus' I am statements. It is the words that was given to, to Moses when Moses said, who, who are you? When I go to the Pharaoh in Exodus... Who will I say sent me? And God says, I am. It's this present tense, it's this, this, this uh, phrase that captures, if you like, someone who has always been, who has always been, is presently and always will be. You and I are, are creatures who exist 
in, in time. God is one who exists outside of time. He is the great I am. And here throughout John, again, we've had many times that Jesus, in essence, he uses this phrase intentionally, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. And here he says, I am again. And we ought to have this recalling and ringing in our heads that Jesus again wants us to be drawing the connection to Exodus, drawing the connection to the great I am. Jesus stands up in the upper room amongst his disciples and says, I am. And it should be stunningly obvious what that means as he, as he makes the connection that Jesus is saying, hey, you know what God said to Moses in Exodus? I'm saying it now. I am God. And as we've looked through John, it's been really clear, right? I mean, if you go in John 1 and, and we read about the word Jesus, and the word was there from the beginning, and it was by him and through the word that all things came into being. We have this picture that Jesus is the glorious creator. And, and you progress through whether it's uh, this omniscient, this all-knowing Jesus that we are presented with through John. In John 1, we, we see that Jesus knows things about Nathaniel that no one else could have known as he was sitting under a tree. Jesus knew where he was and what he was doing, though he was not visible. Or progressing further, maybe it's John 4, there's this good Samaritan, sorry, this Samaritan lady that Jesus encounters at a well. And Jesus has not met her before, and yet Jesus is well aware of her life, well aware of her relationship history. He is this all-knowing one that we are presented through John's Gospel. Jesus knows everything. Things that you and I can't know, things that we cannot be privy to, he is privy to. He knows. All-knowing, all-powerful. Again, as we read through John's Gospel, we encounter the one who stands at the edge of the tomb of his good mate Lazarus and speaks to death powerfully. He says to death, stop it, let him go. And one who is dead walks out of the tomb. Throughout John's Gospel, we again encounter again in John 15, therefore, this Jesus, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the creator, this Jesus, the I am. It's significant. I know I'm pausing, I'm laboring on this, but I think, I think that we can get over-familiar with this. I think, and this is crucial as we understand the point, the key of this passage, that we must abide in Jesus to produce Jesus' fruit. Because, do you get this? As we walk through this, do you get how stunningly awesome Jesus is? It's going to become more and more clear as we walk through the rest of these passages how stunningly awesome awesome Jesus is. Not awesome in the way that I sometimes speak about basketball or surfing. Sometimes I'll say basketball is awesome. It's not awesome. It's a wonderful game. But it's not awesome in the same way that Jesus, I am the vine, he is awesome, friends. And we, we can so easily get over familiar with that. My kids get over familiar with how good they have it with me. And let me explain. <laughs> Why is that funny? No. So I think I, you know, I've, I've got years of experience at skating, and uh, you know, I've, I've, I've learned, I've made mistakes, and, and I've, uh, I've landed kickflips. So you know, that's where you, the board flips and, and you land on top of it. That's pretty good. And yet, and yet, my kids 
have this, this wealth of wisdom. They, they have this great skater present with them and they don't tap into it. I'm there, I'm giving them advice to widen their stance and yet they still stand like teapots. Uh, I'm trying to help them. I think they're over-familiar with me. I, I think they take me for granted that, that they have this great skater in their presence. And I, and I use that in a, in a joking manner, but, but in all seriousness, sometimes we can do that. Now, Sovereign Grace Church... To be honest, this is a church where I'm overwhelmed at how people uh, lift up Jesus as their king. And we've sung it this morning, we've been moved by it this morning, reminded of it already this morning. This is not a rebuke, this is not a sermon to say, do this better. And yet I'm also aware of how we can be so prone to move on, prone to wander, prone to become over-familiar. John 15, I am... The vine. Stunningly awesome is Jesus. Let's keep walking through it. I am the vine, the true vine. Even there, I need to pause because the true vine is significant because as we walk through the Old Testament, the vine is a metaphor for Israel. An example might be Isaiah 5. There's many more. But just to give you one category that perhaps you might want to look at later, Isaiah 5, you can go there and you'll see that Israel is referred to as the vine. And yet throughout the Old Testament, the vine, Israel, they fail. They don't produce good fruit. They don't produce fruit. They are unfaithful. And so here is Jesus, stunningly awesome Jesus, the I am Jesus, who says, I am the true Israel. I am the vine that will produce fruit. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now pause on that, because if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is stunningly awesome, then if a branch is is attached to him, then there's, there's going to be life from that vine flowing into that branch. Now, the context here, you could think, what does that mean? Does that mean that someone who who is a Christian can then be taken away? Because that's the question I ask as I read this passage, guys, as it comes up again in in verse 6. But in the context, I think we have to understand that if Jesus is the true vine, then there will be fruit. Because the the idea of being the true vine is that there will be fruit. That the branches that are attached to the true vine will have the life of the vine flowing into them. That there will be fruit. It might not be massive fruit. It might be just small little sultana. It might be nothing more. But you get the point that, that there will be fruit from the vine, because this is Jesus that they would be attached to. I think in the context, therefore, we must understand it perhaps as a garden metaphor, that when I stand back and I look at rose bushes, and and from a distance it might look like there's a whole lot of branches going everywhere, and as I come up closer I might see that actually there's a whole lot of branches that weren't even, that don't even belong to the, the rose bush. They've just got caught up and mixed up. From a distance, they look like they're attached. They look like they're part of it. But up close, no, they're just caught up in amongst it. They're not attached to the vine at all. I think we need to understand that in the context, that, that here what he's talking about is there are people who are in the, in the upper room with them, even Judas, and yet they're not actually people who are attached to the vine, who have the life of the vine flowing into them. All right? We keep reading. Every branch in me, sorry, verse 3. Already you have 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Clean, again in the guardian metaphor in the Greek, this word clean can also be understood to say stripped. And I think as we understand, as you walk through John, as you walk even through this, this discourse that Jesus has been uh, sharing with his disciples, there's this sense that he has been teaching them. And the disciples have been saying, oh, who's the greatest? Seriously, Jesus, I'm, I'm, is it me? I'm the greatest. And Jesus teaches them and speaks to them in a way that humbles them. He points and continually reminds them that it's not about them. And I think in this sense, they're being stripped. They're being cleaned, if you like, by the words of Jesus that that like a branch attached to the vine, they are being cleaned so that there can be more fruit. Jesus already, if you like, been stripping them, preparing them, allowing them to be ready to produce more fruit. And so verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Ponder that. You can do nothing apart from me. Stunningly awesome Jesus. We try and we try and we try in our own efforts, but apart from him, you can do nothing. It didn't say, apart from him, you can do a fair bit, but you still need me. It didn't say, apart from me, you can do some things. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, here's the the crazy thing. I actually feel like I can do a whole lot. I go through my week and... And I actually feel like I do a fair bit. I, I, uh, maybe it's in the way that I interact with people. Maybe it's in the way that I interact with my family. Um, maybe even as I come to the Word and I, and I study the Word, even good spiritual acts, if you like, I feel like I'm doing a lot. Get the picture of this, though. I can't do anything apart from Him. We're going to keep chewing on this and and wrestling with this, but the emphasis I want you to see here is it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Him. He is stunningly awesome. And the branch can do nothing apart from Him. The branch can do nothing. It will not change, it will not enjoy fruit if it just kind of is attached to to the vine, but then goes, yeah, right now I'm just going to, as a branch, I think I can do this my own right now. I'm going to try and, you know, muster up some fruit somewhere else. Apart from him, the one who is the great I am, apart from him, the one who says, I am the vine, you can do nothing. So the why Jesus? Where else can you look? Why would you look anywhere else? He is stunningly awesome. There's this, there's this, as we ponder and, and how that relates to change. So if we're wondering, how can I change? Why Jesus? There's this quote that I've got above my desk that's by an old guy, Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan many years ago when Puritans were around. And the quote goes like this. The expulsive power of a new affection or the expulsive power of a greater affection Let me say it again, the expulsive power of a greater affection 
Why Jesus? Jesus is the stunningly awesome one, the one that we need to be captivated by, the one that we need to set our hearts before and on, that we be finding great affection for him because he is the greatest. The expulsive power of a greater affection. How can I change is the question I'm asking. And I want to tell you that it has all to do with Jesus. And to begin with, having a great affection for him. J.D. Greer, an American Acts 29 pastor, he, he used an illustration in regards to this when he was talking to some of his guys in his church and he was talking to them about uh, sexual um, gratification and how they were struggling and wrestling with that. And they would come to him and they'd say, J.D., um, you don't understand. Like, um, once, once the desire is there, it's like I, I, I can't go anywhere else. I, I can't but give in to those desires and JD says, no, 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 it's, a, it's like a switch. That desire is like a switch that you can turn on and off. And they said, JD, I think you're, you're old and you've forgotten what it's really like because once those, those desires are going, you can't do anything else but give in. And his illustration to the men in his church was this. He said, guys, let's say, you know, as a uni guy, you're, you're, you go over to your, your girlfriend's house and you go up into the room and you're fooling around. And uh, in the fooling around... The, the, the flick, the switch has been flicked and the desires are aroused. There is affection, there is a desire there that is present that you feel like you cannot help but give in. There's an affection there that you feel you must act on. And JD says, I'll tell you what, you can flick that switch off. And here's how. Let's say her G.I. Joe army father walks in that room right at that moment. All of a sudden, a greater affection is present in you, Right? A greater affection, a greater desire to actually stay alive rules you at that point that you suddenly no longer give in to the other desire. The expulsive power of a greater affection. Here it is in a, in a, in a different way. When I was 16, uh, we, we did, growing up at Penn Hills High, we did several classes of learning different languages and, and I was not very good. I had no desire to learn a language. Zero desire, to be honest. I thought English is great. Uh, that'll do me. Uh, and then, and then when I was uh, 16, I started dating a girl who could speak this language called alibi. It was this weird language that, that girls learned that, so they could speak in a way in front of their parents that their parents wouldn't understand what was going on. But here was a girl that I was dating that I wanted to know what they were saying because they're speaking this funny language. All of a sudden, this, this, this one who had no desire to learn a language, all of a sudden had a really, really big desire to learn this language. I wanted to know what they were saying about me. I wanted to know what was being said. The greater, the expulsive power, the expulsive, it, it pushes out any lesser desire, lesser affection when you realize a great desire, great affection. Why Jesus? He is stunningly awesome. I am the vine. The branch can do nothing apart from him. He is your king. And so as we ponder how can I change, it begins with Jesus. It begins with Jesus. Grow your affection for him. Do not be, um, become over-familiar with how stunningly great he is that you such find that you don't have those great affections for him. That you are more excited and more desirous of, of sin in your life than you are for him. The I am, the I am divine. Why Jesus? Because he is the I am, the true vine. 
He is your king. So you must abide in him. You must abide in Jesus if you want to produce Jesus' fruit in your life. Well, the second question that we ask is, well, then what do I do? What do I do? If we know that Jesus is awesome, what do I do? What, what can I do to change? Read with me verse 5, verse 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If we want Jesus' fruit, we're told that we must abide in him. This metaphor, this gardening metaphor continues and then around verse 9 it switches to more of a a commentary. Jesus explains this this metaphor. And so look with me therefore at verse 9. Let's have a bit of a flick forward. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Some, some of your versions, your Bible versions, might have remain in my love. What is this word, abide? Because that's the essence. If we want to have Jesus' fruit, we're told that we have to abide, remain in the love of Jesus. We must remain and abide in Jesus. The stunningly awesome Jesus, and specifically in his love. And it has something to do here with, with the love of the Father for the Son. And we all know that, that that's an, an overwhelming Glorious and great love. In the Greek, uh, meno, in essence, what, what he's talking about here is uh, literally make your home. Abide means to make your home in the love of Jesus. To get planted in the love of Jesus. It is, in essence, to be singing that song, Amazing Love. Get planted in the amazing love that you, my King, would die for me. King, me, peasant me, sinful me, you, the I am, the omniscient, all-powerful, would die for me. The love of God, the love of Jesus, that, that he would, having lived a perfect life, would then Take himself, clothe himself with his flesh, take the place where I deserve to, to stand, to be condemned where I should have stood. He stood in my place, in your place. He who knew no sin stood in my place, condemned as a sinner for me. Oh, amazing love. That we might become the righteous of God, that we might then by God be viewed as completely forgiven. This awesome exchange that that he who lived a perfect life, a righteous life, one acceptable to God, becomes mine, that I can have his life as I come before God. I am righteous in his sight. Me and my sin, my feeble failing, failure efforts become his. He took them to the cross. To die. King Jesus died for me. Amazing love. How can it be that, that you, my king, would die for me? And in essence, here's what it means for me. 
It, it means that, that as someone who is a sinner, as someone who is a sinner who, if you like, has been under the reign of sin, has now a new king, has now entered a new kingdom. I'm in a new kingdom now with King Jesus. I have King Jesus. Jerry Bridges helpfully illustrates this in his book, Transforming Grace. He talks about a true story uh, during the Cold War when America and Russia were, were at war. And he t- tells a story about a Russian uh, pilot who, as soon as he could, in his plane, abandoned what he was supposed to do for the Russians and flew straight to an American Air Force base, landed and sought asylum. Here, here he was, completely Russian And yet he sought to be in a different place, in a different kingdom, under a different rule. And he was accepted and given full pardon. He was was allowed to go and live in America. And legally, at that point, he became, he actually became an American citizen. And he might have walked around in America and he might have felt still like a Russian. It didn't matter. In the legal, objective eyes, he was an American. He might have even still stumbled in the way, well, he might have still been acting out as a Russian. And with his thick Russian accent, it would have been obvious at times. And yet it did not matter how he actually lived his life. The objective truth was that he was an American. The objective truth was that he now was in a new kingdom. King Jesus is what we're told here that we need to get planted and abide in and remain in the love of Jesus that has placed us in a new kingdom, that no matter how you live, you may be like that Russian. You may, as a sinner, still give in to sin. You may, as a sinner, still stumble and, and fail. And yet the love of Jesus is not that, that you need to therefore somehow earn back your place in his kingdom. No, no, no. You are in his kingdom. The objective truth is he loves you. You are in his kingdom. And nothing will change that. And so abide in that. Get planted in that. Uh, J.D. Greer again spoke about this in the sense that he said that it's... I think as, as Christians we can sometimes think that the gospel is like the diving board into the pool. And and uh, he, he says, no, no, no. The gospel's the pool itself. So abide in that, remain in that. It's helpful even to think of the opposite of what abiding or remaining is. Jesus says, abide, remain in my love. What's the opposite of that? Move on from. Go looking for something else. Friends, abide and remain in his love is to set up camp, is to so place yourself that you are abiding and remaining and aware that you are in this kingdom. He is your king and he loves you. No matter how you have lived your week presently in the past, he loves you. So how can I change? You must abide in Jesus. You must be planted. You must remain in his love. You must abide in Jesus to produce Jesus' fruit. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on His love. Keep your eyes on an awareness that He has objectively set you free, forgiven you. All that is His is now ours. His love for you. 
Make your home in that. Get planted in that. Don't move on from that, but rather abide in that. Well, the third question, as we walk through this passage, the third question, if, if the first one was, why Jesus? And we've been able to see how stunningly awesome Jesus is, and it's about him. Then the third question is, what do I actually do then? And the answer is that I, I abide in him. I abide in him and his love, and I set up shop, I plant myself in him and, and never move on from the awareness that he loves me, that he died for me, that I'm completely forgiven, that I'm in his kingdom no matter how bad I stuff up or how, how good I even am. It doesn't affect the objective truth that he loves me and I'm in his kingdom. So the, the third question then is, what does abiding look like? What does abiding look like? I think the question could even be asked is, how do we actually then maintain a posture of resting in his love? How do we maintain a posture of abiding? How do we do that? And I think the passage is helpful. I think Jesus is helpful in several different ways here in, in helping us understand how we can abide. I think some of them are active, things that we have to actively pursue actively participate in and one of them is very much passive it's something that god allows us to go through so let's look firstly the active things that we can do firstly we can read the bible and pray look with me at verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My words abide in you. There's this, this picture of, of understanding and, and, and coming before, positioning yourself to allow Jesus' words to be in you, to allow Jesus' words to soak you. Look further on in verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Those who are abiding in Jesus, you're not servants, you're friends. Then the difference between a servant and a friend is a friend is actually privy to the revelation of the master. Is privy to an understanding why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Well, we're privy to that because the we're seeking to glorify God and our lives are lived out for His glory. We can actually enjoy His glory. And how do we know? And how do we have this revelation? It's, it's again in His Word. And so, as a church, how do we maintain a posture of abiding? We position ourselves under His Word. We also position ourselves in a way that prays. So Bible, reading the Bible and prayer. And as, we, as we've seen in verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And later, in verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If we truly understand how supremely awesome Jesus is, if we delight in him, and if our affection is set on him, 
then our requests, if you like, will be in line with our affections. So when, when the G.I. Joe army dad walks into that room, the, the request is in line with the affection. Help me live. Allow me to live. The request will be in line with your affections, with your desire for the greatest. Position yourself in a manner that you are seeking to pray in line with your affection for him. Another thing that we can do is, is actually obey his commands. We can abide in Jesus by obeying his commands. Verse 13. Oh, sorry, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have, I have loved you. And doesn't this seem to contradict kind of what we've been saying, that we do nothing, that we've ended up in the kingdom of God because all of what Jesus did, we've ended up under King Jesus because it's completely what Jesus did. And here we're told, and so now we do something. But it's actually not like that. It's, it's the other way around, if you like. It's in view of him, we want to obey. In view of our understanding of how great he is, we want to obey. And here's the wonderful thing. The wonderful thing about reading the Bible, the wonderful thing about prayer, the wonderful thing about obeying his commandments is all of them actually drive us again further and further and further into the gospel. All of these things, they don't move us on from the gospel, they ought to drive us further and further as a branch sucking more life into the branch, into the vine, sorry, that, that we draw more from the vine. That as we read the word, as we pray, we are humbled as needy and exalting him as generous as the giver, as we obey, we are aware of how we fail and fall short of his commandments and so how much more we need a saviour. All of these things ought to serve in a manner to drive us more and more and more into the gospel, ought to serve to allow us to abide in him, to remain in him, to never move on from the glorious gospel that is found in the love of Jesus And so those things we do, and yet we do them in his strength, if you like. As Paul said in Colossians 1.29, I toil and I labor and I struggle, and yet it's his strength that it works out in me. I read the Bible and I pray, and I seek to live out a life of faith by obeying, and yet it's him who is at work in me in all of these things. If you like, they're like wires that are sort of tapping into the power source. The wires on them... On their own, they're nothing. It's when they are connected to the power source that they are allowing the power to drive through them. As a branch, we pray, we read the Bible, we obey, and they drive us more into the power source. We are allowed to be drawn more and more into the gospel that it might affect our lives and we might see our lives changing as a result. We might see the life of Jesus worked out in us. They're the active things that we can do. But there's a passive thing that we participate in as well. And that's in verse 2. It's something God allows us to go through. What does abiding look like? Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, every branch that, branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. So, I'm not a gardener. But pruning, in essence, is, is removing things 
removing branches, uh, not branches, removing and cutting away on a branch, if you like, that might then allow more fruit to be uh, born, more delicious fruit even. You want a good apple, a delicious apple rather than lots of little horrible apples, you prune to that end to allow the, the glorious fruit to take shape. We're told that that God will allow our lives to go through hardship. We're told that God will allow us to walk through toil, to walk through difficult seasons in a manner that might be pruning us. In some ways, it's God stripping away things that might be stripping away things that we hold dear. And at times, you might feel at a loss. At times, you might be driven to despair and feel like you have no hope. And as God prunes you in, in, in this life, and as you feel hopeless, that in that you might again abide and remain in Jesus, that you might be driven all the more to the one, the source of hope. That as you walk through a difficult season, you might be driven all the more to Jesus, to abide all the more, to press in all the more to him. And it's painful, and I'm not saying that we'll always understand. But when God does prune you, allow that to drive you more and more into Jesus, not away from him. Allow pruning to press you all the more into Jesus, to make your home, to set up shop, to be planted in the wonderful love of Jesus in the gospel. How do I change? And I began by kind of drawing attention to all the things I don't do. Maybe you're aware of all the things you don't do or the things that you ought to do. John 15 makes it stunningly clear that it's not actually by drawing our attention to what we're not doing. It's actually by drawing our attention above that and to the one who has done it all for us. How do I change? How do I stop doing what I do? And how do I actually start doing what I need to do? John 15 says, Abide in Jesus. Look to Jesus. And the glorious thing is there'll be fruit because of that. And, and isn't that true that you've seen that in your own life in the past? Or maybe you've seen it in others that the more they've pressed into the gospel, the more they've been aware of that, the wonderful love of the Saviour in Jesus dying for them, that it's not about how good they are or how bad they are, but about Him, that there's a wonderful flow-on effect because of that, that, that they start to actually be humbler. They start to actually be more patient, more kind, more like Jesus. That as they press in more to that glorious truth of who Jesus is, that they actually start to be more like him in their life. How do I change? You must abide in Jesus have Jesus fruit. When I was, um, I went surfing in Papua New Guinea, I've shared this before, I went surfing in Papua New Guinea many years ago with Mike Wilson and uh, I think you did as well, Mike, we got, we got infections from our cuts, did that happen to you too? And so as we, we were surfing on Sharp Reef and um, we got cuts and that's fine, the cuts healed, but then on the plane on the way home, started to realise that, that probably got some sort of infection because of those cuts. 
And the reason we knew there was something going on inside us is because we could see outward signs. So that you could see sort of there was some, some funky red line going up and down my leg. Um, there was, there, isn't that true, right? With infections, there's something that goes wrong inside you and yet you'll see an outward working You'll see visibly outward, maybe it's the infection that, that all of a sudden you've got a runny nose or you're speaking funny because your throat's sore. Something goes on inside that actually will then express itself outwardly. How do I change? John 15 is so clear on this, guys. You abide in Jesus. Your, your heart grows in its affection for him. It remains and lives and, and sets up home in his love. Let that be your home. That be your desire, your affection how he loves you. And it will outwork itself slowly in the way that you live. There will be fruit. It's not me saying that there will be. It's Jesus. He said there will be fruit if you abide in him. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are the greatest, that we can set our hearts, our eyes on you as the greatest that you are the great I am, you are the vine, and we gather as branches who want to just press into you more. Would you help us again and again just to remain in you, to be planted in you, in your love, the love that Jesus, you died on the cross for me, that whatever I've done and whatever I do that might be good, whatever I do that is bad, it's irrelevant because I am in a new kingdom under you, my King Jesus. So help me actually to work out what that looks like in my life. Help me to be planted in this kingdom, enjoying all that is in this kingdom, that you love me, that you died for me. That I might set my affections on you, Lord. And there might be as a result, Jesus' fruit in my life. Amen.